Now, home is a lot of work. Just plain work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure, fun. Who isn't? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, it's well. Family problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. Hello, New Hope Church. We're so glad you joined us today, especially today. It's Memorial Day weekend, a time when we remember and even celebrate the brave men and women who fought and died so that you and I could continue to enjoy the freedoms and the peace that we now have. They paid that ultimate sacrifice. And for that sacrifice, we, the American people, are eternally grateful. When I think about these brave fighting men and women, certain images come to mind of, of a group of soldiers rushing into a battle. Or, or taking yet another hill in that battle and then placing an American flag right at the very top, signifying yet another victory for our armed forces. Bravery and courage is written all over those men and those women. Or is it? Do you remember we talked about a few weeks ago a quote from Mark Twain? He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the control of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the control of fear. Fear under control. So are you trying to tell me that these brave men and women, as they're charging into battle, they're experiencing fear? No, no, that, that can't be. We, we normal folks, we experience fear. That's why we're not soldiers. That's why we're not rushing into the battle. That's why when the bombs go off and the bullets start flying, most normal people, we're heading the other way. It's the brave armed forces and the soldiers and the men and the women, the fighting machines, they run to the battle. Surely they don't experience fear like I experience fear. The truth is they do. Then what's the difference? They don't allow that fear to control them, but rather they control that fear. They suppress that fear and they're able to run into danger and harm's way to enable you and me to experience the peace and the freedom that we now have. Folks, that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today. As we continue in our series about the family, I believe many of us, especially in our families, we are living under the power, under the influence, under the control of fear, and anxiety and failure. There's an awesome story, as always, in the Bible that illustrates perfectly what it looks like to, to, to struggle with that fear and that anxiety and that failure and come out on the other side, not, not being under control of that fear, but rather being in control of that fear. Not that you and I have control of that fear, but we would place it under God's control and he would lead us to that. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Matthew, all the way at the end, Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start at the very end of that chapter, verse 69, Matthew 26, 69. Let me read you the story about Peter's big failure. Matthew 26, 69, 
through 75. Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Okay, as always, let's take this story, the story of Peter, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and pull the lessons and the teachings out of this story that will help our families as we learn to control the fear and the anxiety, even the failures that we are confronted with every day, because as we learn to control them under the power of God rather than to be controlled by them, we will find the freedom that Peter eventually found in a later story that we'll read another time. First lesson we need to understand from this story is this. Something has changed. Now, this is true in Peter's life, but it's also true in our lives and in our families. First of all, something has changed. Now, take Peter just for example, just from this one story. This is not the Peter that we've come to know and to love. This is not the Peter who was present as, as Jesus was preaching and proclaiming and teaching powerful messages. This is not the Peter who was present as, as Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle all over that known world. This is not the same Peter who proclaimed publicly in front of all of the disciples, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah of God. And Jesus even responded, oh, Peter, flesh and bones did not reveal that to you. And that was true. He had such a close, intimate relationship with God, his father, that God spoke to him like to no one else. And this is not the same Peter who jumps out of a boat in the middle of a storm and, and walks to Jesus just to be closer to Jesus. Now, sure, he did eventually sink in that same water, but at least he jumped out of the boat. And that's more than we can say about the other guys in the boat. This is not that same Peter. The Peter we see here, he's a Peter who's afraid of his own shadow. He's wandering around a darkened courtyard, scared to death of anything and everything. Two little servant girls ask him a simple question, and he jumps in fear. This is not the brave and brazen Peter we've come to, come to know and love. Something has changed. There's been a disconnect in his faith. There's been a disconnect in his belief. There's been a disconnect in his trust of his heavenly father. There's been a disconnect in his relationship with Jesus. I don't think it started at this time. I don't think it started this night. There's in fact at least one hint of this beginning even earlier, just a few stories before this story unfolds. Jesus pulls his disciples together and he says, listen guys, we need to go. I must go to Jerusalem, and there it will be bad, and I will suffer, and I will be killed. But on the third day, I'll rise from the grave, and everything will be new. Everything will be different. 
Now, how did Peter receive that word from the Lord? Remember, for three years, he's been the disciple, the follower of, the listener to, the, to, to Jesus. Jesus was his Lord and his Savior. How did he receive that word? He didn't receive it at all. He stands up and he begins to rebuke Jesus. That's right. I said the word rebuke. That's a word out of the Bible. Peter rebukes the Son of God. Who does that? What happened in his life? Was this a growing sense of, of self-confidence? I mean, he was brave and brazen. Was it this self-reliance that he had become to develop, not only physically and, and emotionally from his past life, but now even spiritually after three years of being with Jesus, that he believed himself so strong that he could stand up to Jesus himself, be so convinced of his own rightness that he thought he could rebuke Jesus, the Son of God? How did this disconnect start? Well, I don't have an answer to that, but I have a question for you. Where did your disconnect start? Maybe you were once a water walker like Peter. Maybe once you had the same braven and braze faith that Peter had. You would talk to anyone about Jesus. You opened your mouth about God and then thought about it later. You had no fear when it came to the things of God. And now, you find yourself wandering around a darkened courtyard, afraid of your own spiritual shadow. That is not how it's supposed to be, neither you personally nor in our families. Fear must not rule in our lives. What do we do about it? Well, there's a lesson, not only for this story, but really in the entire Bible that we must remember, and it's that word to remember. Too often we find ourselves in a situation wandering around without direction. It's darkened, there's fear, and there's anxiety, and, and we, we don't know if we have a purpose in our life. God says this, listen, if you ever find yourself in a situation like that, do not go looking for a new word until you remember the last word. Go back to the last thing I said. What was the last word I gave you? Hold on to that until I give you a new word, a new direction, a new purpose. Had Peter only done that, he would have remembered the story just a few stories before where Jesus gathered his disciples. He spoke to all of them, but specifically to Peter. And he said, Peter, listen, you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> I mean, had Jesus said that about anyone else in the room, they probably would have believed, they probably would have nodded their heads and said, yeah, I see that coming. But not Peter. He's a brave and the brazen and the bold one. He will, he will go to the death. In fact, he even stood up and said, no, no, may it never be so, Jesus. I will even go to death with you. Did he receive that word? Did he, did he take that word in as from the Lord? Did he break his heart? Did that drive him to his knees in prayer? Did it cause him to open God's word? Did he go and seek godly counsel from men and women from his pastor? Did he do any of those things? No. Instead of that, he rebuked Jesus and said, no, it is not true. And he put up a barricade, put up a barrier. And Jesus himself could not break through that barrier. And so here we find ourselves here. Something has definitely changed in the life of Peter. And I wonder if that same thing has changed in you. But not only did it change in Peter's life, I think it also changed for God. Now, I'm not saying that God changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's what the Bible teaches. But sometimes 
as part of our spiritual maturity, God changes his position on us. Not to trick us, not to be mean to us, not to give us a hard time, but simply because if we become so accustomed of where God is and, and, and how we can access him and his help and his presence, if we become so accustomed to that over time, we become comfortable. And we forget how it is to work for that and to love him and to seek him. God moves to a new place, so we have to seek him anew. God moves to a different position, so we have to find him anew. We have to go looking for him. And when we find him, we hold on to him even tighter. Folks, this is a problem that we don't understand that God moves. He changes his position on us, not to hurt us or to harm us and in no way is to be mean to us, but so that we must seek him anew and grow in our faith and grow in our understanding, grow in our dependence upon him. Because here's the deal, folks. If you've become accustomed to where God is and how you can find him, you probably become accustomed to thinking that your paycheck comes from your boss. It doesn't come from your boss. It comes from the hand of God. You may think that your, your happy marriage comes from your good looks and the way you treat your spouse. It doesn't come from that. It comes from God. You may think that your, your good health comes from your, your health regimen and, and the good eating habits you have. It doesn't come from that. It comes from God. You may think that your security comes from your bank account. Doesn't come from your bank account. It comes from the hand of God. You may think that your spiritual security comes from your own personal piety, and it doesn't come from that. It comes from the grace of God, the goodness of God, the spirit of God, the power of God. That's where it comes from. Folks, if we are to understand anything, we must understand that something has changed, and when it's changed, we must seek something new. God moves a bit. He shifts a bit so that we seek him anew. We find new paths and we hold on to him just a little bit longer when we find him. Folks, has something changed in your heart? Okay, lesson one was something has changed. Now, lesson two, something has to go. Lesson number two, something has to go. Have you ever walked past a department store, the big window sign that says the big sign, everything must go? Well, if you're a big shopper, that probably fills your heart with joy and you go running through the doors because you know there's deep discounts and great deals to be had. Well, here's the deal. That department store didn't do that just to make your heart happy, <laughs> just to give you a good deal. The department store did that because they know they need to clear out all of the old inventory to make room for the new inventory. That which is no longer profitable must make room for that which is profitable. That's what God is doing in our lives. Let me give you another image. Here in Florida, probably in most of our yards, we have a, a live oak tree. Florida live oaks are very different from northern oak trees. Northern oak trees, they lose their leaves every fall like most other trees, but not live oaks. Live oaks are evergreens. They keep their leaves. In fact, they only lose an old leaf when a new bud is coming out in its place. You hear what I said? The old leaves remain until a new bud pushes out the old. It's the same in our lives. There are old leaves, there are old images, there are old ideas, there are old ways of doing things. There are things in our lives, in our family's life, in our relationship, in our families that are no longer profitable. And God is saying, listen, I need to clear those things out that are not profitable to make room for things that are profitable. Trust and faith, grace and forgiveness, hope, and those uh, deep, deep relationships that we can only know between us and other family members and between us and God himself. 
all those things that are profitable can only come into our lives as we let go of, release, and push out the things in our life that are no longer profitable. This happened for Peter as well. You remember the story we just talked about when, when Jesus confronts Peter and says, Peter, you will deny me three times. Now, how did Peter receive that? Did he receive that word from the Lord? Did it send him straight to his knees? Did he begin praying and, and seeking forgiveness and digging into God's word and, and looking for wise counsel from others on how to change this, this inadequacy in his own heart? No, he did none of those things. In fact, his hands went up and he said to Jesus, never, that will never happen to me. That is not me. You've got the wrong guy. So God said, okay, let's go to plan B. And God allowed him to have this dark courtyard experience where he was literally afraid of his own shadow. The, the responses he was giving, the words he was using, the fear and the anxiety that he was feeling in his heart, this was so uncharacteristic of Peter. There is no way that you could say that's the same guy unless there's some old things in his heart that he had not yet gotten rid of, and it wasn't allowing room and space for the new things, the profitable things that God wanted to bring. So here's what God does. Just as in Peter's life, he does the same for you and for me. If we're not willing to release or even to push out these old things to make room for the new things, God will gently, and maybe sometimes not so gently, begin to apply pressure. For Peter, it was this courtyard scene, and all it took was a little servant girl's question to just cause him to explode. Maybe for you, it's, uh, it's traffic. <laughs> we, most of us here in Southwest Florida have been looking forward to the summer months when things kind of calm down, but it's still as crazy as ever on our roads. And maybe for you, it's traffic that sends you up to 100 miles an hour. Maybe it's, it's strife at work and, 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 and loss of job, furlough at job, uh, discontent at job. Maybe it's in family relationships. You've been struggling for some time, you and your spouse, you and your kids, maybe you and your parents. Whatever God is using to push and to, to apply pressure to your heart and to your life, he's doing it for a purpose, to bring those things up that maybe you've pushed down below. You think, no, that can't be me, Jesus. You can't be talking about me. I'm not dealing with that. That's a problem other people have. God gently applies that pressure so that it does come up and we have to face that reality. God had a plan for Peter's life, a huge plan, incredible plan. We're talking about Peter 2,000 years after his death because of how God used Peter after this experience. But had Peter not learned this lesson, I don't know if we'd be talking about Peter today. Here's the deal, folks. If God ever writes the Bible part two, I don't want to show up in the Bible like someone who missed the point, who had every opportunity to learn this lesson and chose not to learn it. Do you? No, by no means. Yes, he failed. He failed grandly. And we all read about Peter's failure. But you and I, we have the benefit of the second half of the story where he did learn this lesson. He was broken and he came back to God. But if we don't learn that lesson, we will not have that opportunity. God applies that pressure to, to release unbelief and negative relationships, even bad habits, so we can release those things to make room for what is profitable and what God wants to bring into our lives. 
So not only is there something to get rid of, there's also something that remains. Number three is that something has to remain. Let me read verses 69 and 73 for you. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. Jump at verse 73. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. So just like God moves or pulls or pushes some things out of our lives that are that is not profitable to make room for things that are profitable, at the same time, he says there are certain things that still remain in our life that he will not pull away. Number one is this, that God still has a plan for your life, even in your darkest moment, like Peter in this darkened courtyard where he was afraid of his own shadow. He was nothing like his old self. He had completely changed both his personality and his mannerisms and his way of trusting and believing in God. He was as far away from God at that moment as probably any other time in his life. And at that moment, God was still pursuing him. Now, what do I mean? Well, in the story, he moves around the courtyard, first from one place in the courtyard to another, and then to the gate, and then finally to the outside of that gate. He's constantly moving around this darkened courtyard. Why? Because he's running from God. He's afraid of the presence of God, kind of like Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah, he was so afraid of the presence of God, he even paid money to hop on a boat to, to head in the opposite direction of where God had sent him. Well, that didn't work out very well for him, but that, I don't believe that's what's going on here with Peter. I don't believe Peter was running as much as God was pursuing. You see, God had, had already spoken over Peter's life. God had a plan for Peter, and of course, later we hear uh, in the Gospels even more of this plan, and, and we see dramatically how God used him in that plan, but God had a plan for his life, and, and God is quite literally pursuing him all around this courtyard, reminding him, speaking to him, trying to woo him back to himself, and all the while, Peter's turning his back and walking further and further and further away. Folks, no matter how deep you get in a pit, no matter how far you fall, God will always pursue you. God is not in heaven and with his arms folded saying, I'll wait. And if he comes back to me, if she returns to me, I might let him in. That is not our picture of God at all. That is not at all how the Bible describes our heavenly father. He is rather the one who is pursuing. Remember the Old Testament word for pursue or seek is the same word as hunt. Our heavenly father hunts after us because he wants to be with us. And then secondly, we need to understand that we not only were, but are with Jesus. 73 says, your accent gives you away. And of course, that means clearly they, they heard Peter talking. He had the same accent from the same region as Jesus. So they said, you must be from the same area as him. You must be one of them. But it went deeper than that. Not only had he picked up Jesus' accent, maybe even his mannerisms, maybe even some of Jesus' habits, but he had picked up Jesus himself. You know, when we hang out with people, we'll, we'll pick up habits and mannerisms. But only with Jesus, we pick up Jesus himself. He's, he sees from being simply around us to being inside of us. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. It was undeniable. They knew where he had come from. It was a painful reminder for how far he had fallen. But because this Jesus who had been around him was now in him, it was undeniable who he belonged to. He belonged to Jesus. So something has to remain. And then finally, number four, something has to break. Number four, something has to break. Let me read verse 75. 
Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Here's the deal, folks. Before God can use people like Peter or people like you or people like me in the perfect position he wants to use us in, God's created you, God's created me, God's created us to fit into his perfect plan. And he, he longs to use us in his perfect plan. But before he can use us, he needs to break some things that are keeping us from being usable in his hands. And so just like he did for Peter, God had to break some things before we can reach the heights, the great heights that God has in store for us. We need to go down to the depths and, and be broken by God's will so that we can be malleable and usable in the hands of God. And Peter was to go to great heights. He was he was going to preach and, and 3,000 people would get saved. That was his first sermon ever. He was going to write books in the New Testament that you and I are still reading today. He was one of the greatest leaders in the entire Christian church in his day. Those were at tremendous heights, but before he could get to those heights and be used by God in those positions, God had to bring him to a place where he was truly broken. Just look at the story here. Remember, he was in that darkened courtyard, somewhere in the middle, talking and listening and conversing with others. But as the story went on, he found himself more and more and more on the outside. He was slowly removing himself from the present and moving towards outside, further and further and further away from the presence of God. First, he was in the middle. Then next, we find him at the gateway, not really in not really out. And then finally, right here in verse 75, he's finally on the outside. So from the middle to the perimeter to all the way on the outside, that's exactly what happens in our life. If we don't trust God, if we don't allow him to mold us and, and change us and, and even break us and break some things in our lives that don't belong there, then we'll find ourselves moving further and further and further away from his presence. But here's the good news. Peter didn't run. So often, those of us that get on the outsides with God, we turn our back on God and we take off running and we don't look back until it's almost too late. God spoke to Peter and at that very moment, he broke him. I don't know what God used to remind him. It was that word. He remembered again the look in Jesus' eyes. He remembered again what it felt like to be with Jesus. Maybe if he took that, that final step and that just broke his heart to be that separated from Christ, whatever it was, I pray that God would use that same powerful feeling in your heart to draw you back to himself. The Bible says that he wept bitterly. That word weep in Greek means not only to cry, but it means to uncontrollably loudly wail your hurt and your grief. And the word bitterly, this is the only time we read this word in the entire New Testament. The only time we read weep bitterly with these two words together in the entire New Testament, here and when this story is told later in a different gospel, it's the only place. It's almost as if God wanted to say there was never any bitter weeping greater than this. This was the bitterest weeping found in the Bible. That is how broken Peter's heart was. He got all the way to step number three, but God broke his heart. Oh, may you never get past step number three before God breaks your heart. It is not fun. It is not pleasurable. None of us would sign up for it, but thank God for broken hearts because in that broken heart, as God begins to mold 
and rebuild and to put the pieces back together. He puts them back together in his perfect way so that they are usable to him. He takes away the pain, he takes away the hurt, and he re restores it with hope and with future and with love. Folks, in a, in a hurting and dying world, our families must remain strong. If we continue to be prideful and self-confident and self-sufficient and holding Jesus at arm's length, he will not be able to get into our hearts, into our families and change things. He wants to do that. But folks, don't miss this final step. At some point, you will just let, have to let God break your heart for your family, your spouse, your kids, even your parents, to allow him to change, mold, remove things that don't belong there so that you can be used by him, you and your family. Let's close with prayer. Father God, we thank you for our families. God, we've all experienced that fear and anxiety, that failure that Peter here experienced so publicly before all of us. God, just as you continue to woo and follow and pursue him, God, we are praying that you would do the same in our hearts, in our families. And just, God, as you restored Peter, you would restore us as leaders, as spouses, as children, God, in our own families, that we would be used by you, that you would position us in a way that you would use us perfectly in your will. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening this week to the New Hope Church podcast. If you live in and around Cape Coral, Florida, we would love to have you visit our church campus. If you would like some more information about us, we can be found at www.NewHopeCapeCoral.com.